0: So, we've been in this, this series the last couple of weeks called the Theology Project. Now, the Theology Project's interesting because a lot of people check out just when I say that, the Theology Project. You're like, it's another class, it's another lesson. I'm not sure that I want to be a part of it. But here's the deal everyone in this room practices theology. You may just not know it because theology is the way that we think and talk about God. Now, some of you might say, well, I never talk about God. Well, that's theology. It, like what we say and the ways that we live our lives reflect actually what we believe about God. Did you know that? that it, like the way that we live our life is a reflection of our theology. And that's a scary thing from time to time, that the way that I live actually reflects what I believe about God. And so the Theology Project has uh, been our attempt just to, to walk through some, some core beliefs that we have as a church. You know, what's the bare minimum? Like what is it that makes us Christian? And we began with this one statement, this thought about unity, because Jesus prayed about unity the last night that, that he was here on the earth. He's, this is what we said. We value unity. And these words are really important. Humbly giving space for different perspectives and beliefs while holding to a few core theological truths. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Like we want um, to, to, to have some core beliefs, but then give grace and space Humbly, because we realize no one has all the answers. No one has it all figured out. We want to give some space around the edges. Now, most everyone, when you say something like this, they're like, yeah, that's great. But what are the the few core theological truths? Like, what are the things that are most important? What's the essential to what we believe as Christians? That's a great question. So last week, we jumped in with the first essential of Christianity. Now, I say this from time to time. If you miss Jesus, you miss yeah, so essential to Christianity is Jesus, which Christianity is named after. So obviously, if you miss Jesus and Christianity, you miss it. So this is what we said. This is the core. And then around the edges of this, we give space, humbly. Jesus was fully God, fully human, eternally existing. He wasn't created. He eternally exists. And through his life, death, and resurrection, he offers new life to humanity. That is core to Christian thought, to what it means to be a Christian, is to believe that Jesus was both fully human and fully God at the same exact time, which is easy for us to understand, right? I mean, easy conceptually. (laughs) Fully God, fully human, eternally existing. And though we can't fully understand or describe what took place in his life, his death, and his resurrection, though we, none of us can fully comprehend that, it's in that, his life, death, and resurrection, that God says, there's a different way to live. There's a new way that you can live. And, and Jesus offers that. Through what Christ has done, we are offered a new way to live. Now, last week I made this, this comment. I said, we can opt in to the Jesus kind of life. And someone asked me, what does that mean you can opt in to the Jesus kind of life? Well, see, all of us opt in to humanity. Now, we are born as humans. How many humans do we have in the room? Do we have (laughs) a few humans in the room? Awesome. But what we do is we opt in to the ways that we live by what we notice around us. We watch other people living. We listen to our parents, our teachers. We are formed. And then we opt in to a certain way of life. Does that make sense? Are you with me on that? Yes? No? Yes? Okay. In the same way, what God offers us through Jesus is the ability to opt in to a new way of life, to go in a new direction, to see in Christ a new way to be human or a new way to live ruled by love, which is most important. And so we as Christians, those of us who said, I'm following Christ, have opted in to this new life because of what Jesus has accomplished. Now understand this, none of us fully grasp exactly what took place on the cross, though we get glimpses of it. We have ideas, we have some theories, but in some cosmic way, in some mysterious way, what Jesus did on the cross allows us to be set right with God to opt in to this new kind of life. And that's what it means to step into the stream of Christianity. Last week I ended with this question. So if Jesus was fully God and fully human at the same time, yet he prayed, who was he praying to? Was he praying to himself? Was he just talking to himself? Was he a crazy man? Like what was Jesus doing? He often prayed, our father or my father who art in heaven. So today we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about God. Are you with me so far? So I'm going to talk about God for a few minutes and then at the end, in case you drift off, we have another two-minute video, just for those of you who love the two-minute video to kind of wrap it all up. So here we go. We're going to begin in the beginning. The very beginning of the Bible starts like this. In the beginning, God. In other words, whatever you picture as the beginning, God was there. I used to ask my dad, so dad, if, if God has always been, when did God begin? And he would say, well, you answered your question. Well, what do you mean I answered my question? Well, you said if God has always been, then when did he begin? Well, you said he's always been, so there's no beginning to God. Easy for like a six-year-old to understand. Okay, I, I, I get that. But in the beginning, the, the writers of Scripture tell us in the beginning God was there, and, and his activity in the beginning was to create. Like we have this creative God. God, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth. Like God reveals himself just through creation. Have, have you ever stood somewhere? Maybe it was a beach. How many beach people do we have? Do we have beach people in the room? Mountain people? Do we have any mountain people? Yes. Have you ever stood on the mountains or on the beach and looked out and just been overwhelmed by the beauty, the complexity of what you see? And, and, and what, what we find is that God is revealing himself just in the beauty of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the picture that we, we were given by the writer, it's very poetic, but, but that there was this formless mass and the spirit of God, what, what we know as the Holy Spirit, hovered over this and that God somehow entered in and created beauty out of chaos. God creates beauty out of chaos. When I was a kid, I loved Legos. And I would get all these, um, these pieces together. And it was just chaos on the floor. I had the castle. You guys remember the castle? I always wanted the castle. I wanted this big one with all these pieces, like a thousand pieces. And we put it there. And I think my dad did it, but I felt like I was doing it. Like I created beauty out of chaos. And that's what God does. But not just with the world around us. He, he does that with us. Like, God is not just the originator, the creator of the world. He's our originator. He's our creator. He's the one who initiates life. And if you think about it, um, there's this challenge to to think about humanity just scientifically without entering into this idea that there must be a God. How did this happen? Like, how did I happen? Some of you might look at your spouse and go, how did you happen? But... um, (laughs) God is the originator, the one who brings beauty out of chaos. Then God said, a little bit further in in Genesis chapter 1, then God said, let, what's that next word? Let us, which is interesting. and Like, who is us? Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Well, are there multiple gods? Is it like the Greek mythological idea that multiple gods came together to create humanity? Well, not for Christians. Christians believe that one God who has three persons within within one is the one who initiated all that we see and all that we do. So I want to tackle these two thoughts today. God is the creator, the initiator, and then God as this triune or this three-person God. The challenge we all face, before I jump in, the challenge we all face is this, that we attempt to define God To find words that accurately describe God, which are our own terms. Yet the human language and mind have a limited capacity. And so everything that we say about God falls short. Does that make sense? Like if God really is as majestic as we say he is, then everything that we say falls short of being able to fully describe him. So oftentimes we attempt to define God, to, to use these words, but we often fail to adequately allow space for the great mystery that is God. Like there, there are some pieces that we can just not comprehend, understand, or even put words to who God is. Like that is the awe that we have. To say, I can't, I mean, to walk out and see these beautiful McDowell Mountains last night in June when it's like 60, 70 degrees outside, unbelievable. We can't fully comprehend the power of a God who can do this, who can create what we see. There's mystery in it. There's a great mystery in it. And that's okay to have that kind of space. To give you an idea of this, I'm going to give you just a phrase. And I want you to fill in the blank for me. God is... Wow. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to, even if you didn't come with someone, I want you to look at the person next to you and just give them two words that you might fill in the blank with. Can you do that? It's okay to talk in church. It's all right. So maybe look around you and just talk to people you don't know. Two words. What are the two words you would use to describe God? Got it? You got a stab at it? Okay, now, Let's try this again. I'm going to say this, and I want you just to, just to fill in the blank. God is. Oh, my goodness. Like, I got a few of those. God is good, I heard. God is omnipresent, I heard. What else? God is forgiving. God is forgiving. God is love back there. God is silent. Okay, God is silent. That's good. God is everywhere. We got some good ones going on. So, look. Here, here's what we've done, theologians have done from time to time, is to, they've, they've try to create a little bit of a formula to describe who God is. Now, there's not, it's not bad. It's good for us to do this as long as we understand that God is so much bigger and beyond these words that we, we try to use. The three biggies are, are omnipotent, omnipresent, Omniscient. I heard, I think I heard most of those. The idea that God is all powerful, he's everywhere, and he's all knowing. Like, scholars have said these are the most important attributes of God. But he's also faithful. He's he's holy, which means he's completely different. He's set apart. He's not like us. He's, he's different than us. Uh, He's good. He's loving. He's just. Like God is just, which means he's right and he's perfect in his ways. He's merciful and God is is gracious. We've used all these words and we've tried to create this formulaic approach to God. But God, first and foremost, is relational with humanity. He's not a formula. Like we can try to create the formula to try to have in our mind this this rational view of well God is this, 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 and this, and if I pray then God will do something for me and if I go through these steps, then God will be there. but the truth is God is is relational, which means God is dynamic with us. Now, at the beginning of the Bible, we have this idea that God is the creator the initiator. And then we have all these stories of humans who are explaining interactions with God and, and pictures of how they, they deal with God. Nowhere in scripture do we find a formula. Did you know that? Like nowhere in scripture, which would be awesome if someone would have said God is one, two, three. And as long as these three are in your makeup, your framework, then all's good." good. But, but nowhere do we find that. We find stories after stories after stories. John, near the end of the Bible. Uh, He wants us, it seems, to have one word that we understand God as. You know what that word is? He says, God is love. God is love. John doesn't say God is is love and he is just and he is omnipotent and he's everywhere. Like, John just says, If you miss everything, I know I say this every week. If you miss everything, don't miss this, that God is love. And I think sometimes what we miss is the idea that that God's essence, his core, like at the very center of God and everything around this is love. Love. And every other characteristic of God flows out of his core and his essence, which is love. Is God just? Absolutely. But he's just, he's right out of his love. Is God omnipotent? Is he all powerful? Yes, but his his power comes from his great love for us. Is he omnipresent? Is he always around? Yes, but his His presence is born out of his love for us. So core to the biblical teaching and human thought, human interaction with God, his essence, God is love. And everything else flows from this. Now, I have... um, I have three boys that I love most of the time. And, um, no, I love my boys all the time. Come on. When my boys were little and they just started walking, it, it, those of you who are parents, grandparents, do you remember when kids first start, start walking? And they they are very unstable and they're like kind of all over the place. And usually when they fall, they fall back and down. and um, And we as parents are pursuing our children as they're learning to walk. Do you remember this? And we talk about this God who pursues us and so many of us view this idea that God is pursuing us, that God pursues us like this. And maybe when our kids are teenagers, we get there, but, but early on, <laughs> that God is, is like pursuing us, watching for every misstep, every fall to point out what we've done wrong. But the truth is, God pursues us like this. Like like a little child who's learning to walk and it is kind of you know uneasy every step like God's God's pursuit of us isn't in his his anger it's out of his love. It's not out of his justness like you are not walking correctly. Like what would you say to a parent who like followed their their One-year-old learning to walk and and everything. The dad, you're not walking correctly. Put the next step. Put your hands out to give your, what are you doing? No, no, you, like, we don't do that. Like, parents, what is this out of? It's out of our love for our children. We follow our children and pursue them with this, this idea of protection, and we want them to grow up and walk on their own. So we're doing everything we can to nurture that. Listen, that is God. Like that's his love. And everything flows from this. Every attribute flows out of a God who walks. He's present, wanting to nurture us to health and humanity. This new life that he's given us. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Now this is good news, that we don't have a God who's like running after us, like shaking his finger all the time. But rather, we have a God who's, who's coming. And, and, and there are times when he has to move us in a new direction. There are times he has to nudge us. There are times when that's painful. But it's not out of his anger or his justness. It's out of his love. His rightness comes out of his love. Um, so here's the statement. God, all-loving creator, this is one of the essentials for us the faith, God, all loving Creator of everything, stands above and within creation. So He is both outside of time, but He also stands inside of time with us. He's personally present. Now, this is one of the um, the outskirts of Christianity. This is outside of the banks. Is the idea that God is a deity who just stands far away from humanity with His arms crossed? That's not. That's not Christianity. Christianity is that. That there is a personal God, a personal God, who pursues us for relationship out of love. He's relationally pursuing all of humanity, regardless of whether or not we, we recognize us. Sometimes he calls us on the cell phone. <laughs> and, <laughs> sorry, I just couldn't pass that one up. That was awesome. That's awesome. I'll be here all week. Um, so we've said a few weeks ago, we, we can learn from, uh, from, from liberal theologians, we can learn from conservatives, we can learn from a wide variety of voices, right? And so there are times I put quotes up that make people un, uncomfortable, but one of the things that I read uh, in the last couple years, this, this thought of who God is, I just think is a beautiful picture. Um, Bell says this, God doesn't wait for us to get ourselves polished, shined, proper, and without blemish but rather God comes to us and meets us and blesses us while we are still in the middle of the mess that we create. Isn't that a neat little statement, that idea? That he comes, he's not waiting for us to figure it all out and get ourselves clean enough to come to him, but rather he pursues us and steps in. This is what Paul said when he said, while we were still sinners, God loved us so much that he was willing to send Jesus. While we were still sinners, Because of his great love, he steps in the middle of the mess that we've created. Now, how does he do this? Now, this is the present God. This is where we move into the idea that that he isn't just distant, but he's he's present. And so the the statement is, is this, that there is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, in theology, we call this the Trinity. Now, this is where I start losing some people. I know, I get it. Uh, the Trinity can be expressed as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, there's one essence. There, there's, there's one, yet three persons within that one. We are a one God people. We're not a three God people. Does that make sense? Monotheistic. Uh, we're not polytheistic. We're, we're mono, we, one God who makes himself known in three different persons. And I thought, I wish there was a way that I could just describe this. When, uh, when I was a youth pastor, I used to say to the kids, I used to say, it's, it's kind of like water. Water at, at like room temperature is water. If you freeze it, it becomes ice. If you heat it up, it becomes, yeah, so like one core essence yet three but the problem with that is they don't three exist at the same time yet our God does exist at the same time so that doesn't work Uh, it's not perfect and then I thought or I heard this idea that God's like an egg that there are three pieces like there's the shell there's the yolk there's the what else is in the egg yeah yeah the white Um, so you got these three different things yet it's one egg but that falls short as well so, like, there's all these different, like, attempts at, to try to describe God, but there's some great mystery in it as well. And we can't, we can't just strategize and, and figure out beyond the mystery. There's mystery. Uh, oftentimes, we think of God in a spatial terms, like God is... God, he's there, and then Jesus was here, and he's not here anymore, but the Holy Spirit is here, so it's a very spatially understanding of of, of God, but God is relational, which means to think of the Trinity, we should be thinking relationally. Let me give you an example. I am a father. I'm one person. I'm one man. I am a father. I have three boys. Like I said, I love them all the time. And I have a relationship with them. I'm also a husband. I have a wife. I have an awesome wife. She's unbelievable. She's beautiful. I love her all the time. I hope she's in here right now. She is, my relationship with my wife, my husbandness is different than my fatherness. The relational side of that is very different. Does that make sense? Are you with me? I'm also, by the nature of my job, I'm a manager. Like I, I have like some employees that, that, I, that I relate to. But the way I relate to my employees is different than the way I relate to my kids. And, and the way that I, I, I relate to my wife is, is different than, than employees. And so there's this relational difference, yet I'm still one person. And in a sense, this is, is, is the trinity, It's one God, yet he relates in different ways. You might say this, that God is the creator, the initiator, first and foremost. Jesus is the one who saves and shows us the way to live. He gives us a new way to be human. And the Holy Spirit is the one who stays and counsels us when we are unsure of which way to go. One God, three persons. So, So what? So we might have some right thinking. We might try to work that out. But so what? Does it matter? Tomorrow when I get up and go to work and I interact with an employee who isn't cutting it and I have to let him go or I'm not cutting it and I'm going to get let go. Like what does it matter what I believe about whether or not there's a God? Here's... If you've drifted off, come back for a second. Come on back, come on back. Here's the deal. That as Christians, we believe in a God who has not quit. He hasn't quit creating. He hasn't quit bringing beauty out of chaos. And God has not left the building. God is still here. He's hovering. And he's wanting to bring good out of whatever mess you find yourself in. Because listen, let's be honest. Every single one of us have a mess in our lives. Some of us have lost ourselves to addiction and, and we see no way out. And, and as much as it, it's easy for someone else to say, hey, just quit doing that. The truth is we just can't quit doing that. Whatever it is, substance abuse, sexual abuse, all of that. And, and we we have this sense that I have been overcome by whatever this is in my life, and there's no hope for me. So what does it matter if I believe there is one God with three persons? What does it matter? Here's what it matters. That God did not create you to leave you alone. That through Christ, he initiated a relationship with you, and his spirit is here to bring good out of the mess that you're living in. Some of you are in this room, and you look at me, and you say, Matt, my marriage is on the brink I don't even know if there's a marriage left. I'm not even sure that, that this will ever get to where it used to be. I don't even know if I want it to be, to be honest. So what does it matter if I, if I believe that God created all the beauty out there? Because I am a mess and my life is ugly. Here's why it matters. Because that God who created that out of chaos, wants to do the same with your marriage. And he wants to enter in and hover, not in an angry way, but hover in a parenting, loving way to move you to new life. You see, what we believe about God is good news no matter where we find ourselves. Every single one of us, it's good news. God hasn't quit creating He hasn't quit bringing beauty out of the chaos. He hasn't left the building, which includes your house and your work and your home and your car. He's not not distant. He is with you. God is love. And he's after you with that love. Now, if you fell asleep, I have a two-minute summary just for you. Two-minute theology. Are you ready for this? and then we'll land the plane, check this out.